right, let's see it. Amen, amen, and amen. All right, X15, how are we doing tonight? Talk to me a little bit. Talk to me a little bit. I just want to know you're here. Okay, you're good. You're here. And man, I want to start off by saying this. It is a joy and honor to be with you guys here tonight as a part of Exit 15. I mean, think about it. It's in the world we live in and all is going on around us in the year 2020 and 2021. We get to come together as a people of God to worship him as his people. Think about that for one second. That is a special thing. Well, with all that being said, if, for those of you who don't know me, and if you're here for the very first time, my name is Christian Castellano, and I'm here on the high school ministry staff. Man, it is a joy, like I said, just to be here with you guys. Over the past couple of weeks, we started a brand new series called Move, right? And last week, Steve dove into Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, and talked about the importance of having a burden for praying for the lost. All right, everybody say lost. Lost, right? So Steve talked about a burden for praying for the lost. And I want to say this to you really quick. If you look throughout all the New Testament, from the beginning of Matthew until the end of Revelation, every great movement of God, every time there's ever a revival, every time, even throughout history, every time there's ever a revival, it always happened because God's people started on their knees asking God to do what only he could do. So my question is this. When was the last time that you stopped and literally begged God to do what only he could do? When was the moment that you last prayed for a lost friend that you literally wanted to see them come and know the Lord Jesus Christ? Not just a simple, small prayer, but when was the last time you begged God for their salvation? Here's the deal, church. I think many people have ridden off our generation. I think you and I, we're all in the same generation together. Many, of, many people have looked at our generation and said, Ah, uh, okay, they're, they're doing their own thing, whatever. But I believe that God wants to use our generation to reach the world for the glory of Jesus Christ, but that will only happen if we begin by praying for our knees. And my other question for you is this. If you were to take all the lost people you ever prayed for in your life, if all of them were to get saved tonight, how many of those people, or how many people would there be? That question should convict you a little bit. Because we should be a people, as God's people, that are constantly praying for the lost. So with all that being said, in the spirit of prayer, I want us to begin by praying for the lost, but also praying for the message. Is that okay with you guys? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you for who you are. God, I pray that we as a church, God, I pray for us as a student ministry, God, I pray for us as individuals, may we be burdened for the lost to tell every single person we know whether it's a family member, a friend, our school, our city, our nation, our world. God, I pray that we'd be burdened to tell them about King Jesus. God, we're a young generation, but God, we want to be used. We want to change this world. God, I pray you would use the students in this room and raise up young men and women who fear you, God, that will change the world for your glory. God, be with us. Use the word. Use your word. In the name we pray. Amen. All right, so last week we talked about prayer. This week, the title of our message, if you're wondering, is the message of salvation. So we're going to be camping out in Romans chapter 10, verses 5 through 11. So if you have a copy of God's Word, as I hope you would, I want to invite you to open with me to that passage. All right, so as we're going there, I want to ask one big question. And I want you to pay attention to me. Give me your eyes for a second. What is the message of our salvation? 
All right, what's the message of our salvation? Oftentimes we throw that word around and we think about it, but we never really think about the message of our salvation. So the goal for tonight, we're going to walk through the passage in Romans chapter 10, verses 5 through 11, and we're going to ask ourselves, what is the message of our salvation? And then get three answers from it. All right? So the first answer I want to give you for the overarching question is that Jesus is the source of our righteousness. Jesus is the source of our righteousness. Let's read Romans 10 real quick, and then we'll dive into it. Romans 10, 5 through 7. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will ascend to the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. All right, so you're reading this. I know all of us are kind of like, what does this mean? Where, where is this passage going? In order to understand this passage, you have to understand the culture of who Paul was talking to. We talked about it a little bit last week. But the culture that Paul was talking, or the church Paul was talking to, was kind of not divided, but had two different types of people, right? On one end of the spectrum, you had Jewish Christians who were recent converts to the faith, who had grown up their whole lives hearing about a, a law, work-based relationship with God. And then you had pagan Gentiles who were recent converts to the faith, and they were just now hearing about salvation. But why is that important? Because these Jewish Christians had grown up their whole lives thinking, okay, if I can work my way through fulfilling the law, maybe, just maybe, I'll get righteousness. But here's the deal. Paul's writing to the church in Rome, and he's telling them, Jesus Christ, the one that we serve, he was the fulfillment of the law, not negating the law, not forgetting the law. Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the law, and because of all that he did, he is worthy to be praised. He was the source of your righteousness. So Paul was telling the church in Rome that if we want to worship, if we want to understand what true righteousness means, it means when we submit to Jesus Christ and realize that he fulfilled all the law required us to do, and trusting in him could give them salvation, right? So I want to put it to you like this. How many of you guys have ever seen a well? All right, there's a well. It's a classic picture of a well. I believe wells are very interesting because of how they're designed, the fact that you have to go and get water from the very bottom by like, digging really deep, and you build this little like rock structure around in order to protect it, right? But imagine this. Imagine that you and I are trying to depict our lives using a well. Oftentimes, we'll take good bricks of good deeds and try to build our own well that describes our life. But the reality is most of us don't ever truly tap into the source of living water, which is Jesus Christ. A well is only good when you tap into the water that you drink from it with, right? In the same way, for our lives, we're only righteous before God when we tap into the living source of Jesus Christ, right? Oftentimes, I want to say this, oftentimes, to make it clear, oftentimes we try doing everything, but not really depending on what Jesus has done. And so that's what the source of righteousness is all about. And Jesus is say, or Paul is saying this, if you want to really understand what your source of righteousness is about, it's all about who Jesus is. All right, so the big question again was, what is the message of our righteousness? The second answer to that is this. It is that Jesus is at the heart of our confession. Jesus is at the heart of our confession. Let's read verses 8 through 10 together. Verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you. Everybody say word. Word. In your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because, this is a famous verse, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Church, that's good news. Verse 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the 
uh, mouth, one confesses and is saved. All right, so we, we've heard this verse before, but what's the context behind it? Um, like we talked about earlier, Jewish Christians had grown up their whole lives when they were very young, memorizing the first five books of the Bible. So Paul was almost being apologetic and saying, you know what? I want to prove to you that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law by pointing, to you, pointing you to an Old Testament passage. And that passage was Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 14. It's on the screen. Verse 11, it says this, For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth, in your heart, so you can do it. What was Moses? Moses wrote this passage. What was Moses talking about? He was telling them, the Jewish people, that if you live by the word of the law that's been on your mouth your whole life, you will receive righteousness. But what Paul was saying was this. He said, look, Moses said this, but Jesus was the fulfillment of that law that you were supposed to memorize. And if you confess that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, then you'll fully receive righteousness. That was part of the confession. So what was the confession? Verse 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. What does that mean? Lord means king. It means master. Right? Oftentimes we see Jesus as savior just for fire insurance, but we never see Jesus as master. Paul was saying, Jesus, your Lord, your master, your king. Not only that, but also Jesus is also uh, risen from the dead. That was part of the confession we were supposed to make. That Jesus Christ is Lord but also he's risen from the dead to prove that he was truly God. First uh, Corinthians 15, 14 talks about that if Christ had never resurrected from the dead, then all that we'd be doing was in vain. And that was the confession of the first century church. And that's our confession to this very day. So what is the message of the gospel? What is the story behind this whole thing? I'm going to take you to the whiteboard right here or the screen, and we're going to walk through the gospel together really quick, all right? So some of you have heard of this method, but I want to walk through a method called the three circles method, right? So you can see it on the screen right here. We have the first circle, and it says, oops, I keep writing this, my bad. There we go. Look at that. We have the first circle. It says God's design. Everybody say God's design. All right, so God's design. What was it? In the very beginning, we know God created what? The heavens and the all right, good, you're paying attention. God created the heavens and the earth. And we know that God created all the animals and everything about it. And God said it was very good. But on the sixth day, God created people, right? God created people. And at the very end of the sixth day, God said it was very good. And what was amazing about God's original design was that God walked with man and man walked with God. We knew God intimately and we were able to walk alongside him. But here's the deal. Over time, people said, you know what, God? We know your good design. We know your good plan. We know what you have in store for us, but we want to do our own thing. We want to rebel and choose what we want. So what was that? In our rebellion, we brought sin into the world. Everybody say sin. We brought sin into the world. And the byproduct of sin was actually a world of brokenness. All right? I'm just going to write broken just to keep it short. But brokenness. The world became broken. And some of you might say, oh, like, it's not that bad. I mean, think about it. We just got out of the year 2020. We got through, <laughs> when you think about it, we just got through a pandemic. We saw a lot of racial division. We saw all these different things that proved to us that the world we live in today is broken. 
But oftentimes as people, we try to fix our own brokenness, whether that's a relationship, right? We might try to do a relationship to fix our own brokenness. Other people say, you know what? I'm going to take money. Yeah, money fixes everything. Church, I'm going to tell you something. Money doesn't fix everything. Oftentimes we try to say, you know what? A nice car. I know we're all starting to get cars these days, so it looks like a turtle, but that's a car. Um, um, but we, all, we try to say a nice car maybe, or maybe just even we might say going to church enough times might fix our brokenness. But here's the reality. Going to church plenty of times doesn't fix the broken void you have in your heart. Other people say good deeds, like helping the old lady cross the street. And other people even say, maybe I can just numb it all away with addictions. And I think that hits very real for all of us. We try to fix our own brokenness with addiction. But here's the deal. None of that could ever do it. Which sounds pretty gloomy, right? You hear that and you're like, that's pretty sad. It's like hopeless. But here's the deal. The God we serve was still in the business of redemption. God was not done with people when the world became broken. In fact, he had a new plan. And that plan was called the gospel. And man, this is good news. Now I want you to think about this for a second. What is the story of the gospel? The story of the gospel is this, is that God came in the form of a baby. Everybody do this with me. Baby, right? Little baby. Rock your baby. So God came in the form of a baby, and he lived a perfect life, and his name was Jesus, right? So here's the first downward arrow, and his name was Jesus. He lived a perfect life, and the cool thing about Jesus was this. Jesus did so many amazing things. He walked on water. He fed 5,000. He healed the lame, allowed people to see. He gave people the ability to hear for the very first time. God did so many amazing things to prove that he was truly God. But there was a problem. We had all fallen short of God's glory and we all had sin and something had to pay the price for our sin. So this perfect Jesus came and he died in our place. But the story doesn't end there. What we know about this amazing story was that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he paid our sin debt. But three days later, he arose from the dead to prove that he was truly God and that he was worthy of worship and that his death and his resurrection had paid for our sin once and for all. That was the story of the gospel. So he rose again from the dead. So what do we do with this? Well, let's put it like this. There's three things we got to do as people. In order to receive the gospel, first we must repent. What is repentance, you ask? Repentance is when you're walking one way and you make a full 180 turn and walk towards God. That's your first step. Next, you got to believe. What do you believe? You believe what Paul just said in Romans chapter 10. You believe that Jesus is Lord and you confess. And you also believe that God has risen Jesus from the dead. And lastly, you receive. You receive the free gift of salvation and make it your own. Right? I might have written receive wrong, but you receive the free gift of salvation and make it your own. And that's how we become followers of Jesus Christ. But do we stop there? No, not at all. In fact, we're called to then recover and pursue God's design. So what does this mean, recover and pursue? Recover and pursue means this, that the moment that you hear that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you are then called to go and tell other people about how to reach God's good design of being walking with him intimately as a saved creation. And here's the good news about the gospel. The gospel was always for everyone. Salvation was offered to anyone and everyone in this room. We've all been invited, and the kingdom of heaven is open to everybody in this room. No matter who you are, where you come from, you've been invited into the kingdom 
of heaven. But what are you going to do with it? And lastly, our third point for tonight. We walked through the first two points. The original question was, what is the message of our salvation? The third point for tonight is this. That Jesus allows the believer to have no shame. Jesus allows the believer to have no shame. Church, this is really good news. Let's read it together. Romans chapter 10, verse 11. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Everybody say, not put to shame. The shame. Think about that for one second. Not put to shame. That is good news. I mean, think about it like this. Some of you guys in this room, some of you ladies, I'm saying guys in general, some of you people in this room are stuck living in defeat. Some of you are stuck living in the past. And some of you are stuck living in your shame. You haven't forgiven yourself. You haven't said, Christ paid it all, therefore I'm set free. Some of you are stuck sitting in the past. And my question to you tonight is, why is that? Why are you stuck in the past and not able to move on and receive what Jesus Christ has done for you? He's paid it all already. Why are you sitting back in the past in shame? Why are we sitting there? And think about this amazing fact. One day, we're going to all stand before King Jesus. We're going to stand before God. He's going to ask you one day, why should I let you into my heaven? Why should you come in? And all you're going to be able to do, and all you're going to be able to say is point to King Jesus and say, because I'm clothed in his righteousness. What he's done for me has set me free. People, church, realize this. What Jesus has done in your life has set you free. You've received the righteousness of God. You've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But one more thing. Some of you uh, might hear the voice of the enemy saying, oh, you're too far gone. It's accusing you. Some of you might be hearing the voice of your past saying, oh, you've messed up. You can't be used again. But you get the chance to know as a follower of Jesus Christ, you can look at all those things and say, you know what? I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. What are you going to do to me? What are you going to do to me? The Christ, the glory of Christ is upon me. So like I said earlier, we no longer have shame as followers of Jesus Christ. But here's this other thing I want to tell you today. Ultimately, we don't live in shame, but we've been called to shamelessly move and share the gospel. The story of this, of this sermon series is all about moving to share the gospel. Because we don't live in shame, we shamelessly tell everyone about King Jesus. And so with that being said, I want to share with you a quick story. All right? Some of you guys have heard of a man by the name of Jim Elliott. Here's his face on the screen. Some of you know him. Some of you don't. So 1956, God called a guy by the name of Jim Elliott to go to the country of Ecuador. He and his wife and his little baby daughter. They moved to Ecuador. For many years, they did ministry. They went and told people about Jesus. They went to the tribes the lost tribes, lost uh, Indian tribes in those countries and told them about the story of Jesus Christ. But what do we know about this? Um, their story goes is that as they were traveling around the tribes, they went to this one tribe and they told them all about King Jesus and many of them got saved. And as they were, as they were talking to that tribe, the tribe members said, look, this might not be possible. I'm not sure if you can really do it. But there's a tribe right down the river that has never heard of Jesus Christ. But here's the deal. They're hostile to any visitors. They don't want anybody coming in, and they don't want anybody stepping foot into their tribe. So Jim got a team together of four men, and they went 
down the river to this little tribe called the Aukas. And as they were going there, they, they, studied the, they studied the tribe for a couple months, and they said, you know what? This is how we're going to do it. We're going to get a helicopter. We're going to fly over the tribe and drop off gifts to offer peace offerings. And for weeks, they did this. And eventually, the Aukas um, took their own gifts and put it in the bucket and sent it back up into the helicopter. And eventually, these guys said, oh, okay, we must be at peace. If they're offering us gifts and we're giving them gifts, we're at peace. So the story goes that Jim and his team got into a river. They, they landed their helicopter, got into the river, and began swimming towards the Aukas in hopes of sharing the gospel. But boom, they heard a loud cry. And the Aukas warriors had came out and killed all four of these missionaries. But what happened next? These men died. Many people heard the story. But a few years later, Jim's wife, Elizabeth, and their daughter, and a girl named Rachel, Rachel Saint, who was, one of, who was the sister of one of Jim's teammates, flew down to Ecuador and lived with the Aucas. And they somehow got in. But the amazing thing that happened was this. As all that was going on, as, the, as Elizabeth Elliot and Rachel were talking about the gospel of all these Aucas, these people, one by one, started giving their lives to Jesus Christ. And this once hostile people became friendly people because many of them had given their lives to Jesus. And so as you hear this story, as you hear the story of Jim Elliot, and you hear the story of what Elizabeth Elliot and what God did through his family to reach a whole unreached people group, you have to stop and look at the story and say, wow, there's three people in this story. The first one is a guy like Jim Elliot. Many of you in this room, there's some people in this room who are like Jim Elliot. You're sold out for the gospel, and you want to tell everyone you know about what Jesus has done in your life. The second person in this story would be the Aukas. And those are people in this room that have said, you know what, I know the story of Jesus, but I don't want it. And what i got to ask you tonight is what's stopping you? The gospel is near to your mouth. What's stopping you from receiving Jesus as Lord today? And I want to challenge you, talk to your life group leader after this if you want to know more about that. And thirdly, there's a third party in this group. You're asking, okay, there's Aukas and there's Jim Elliot. Who else is in this group? The third person in this room tonight that represent, that's representing this story is the person who reads or listens to the story but does absolutely nothing about it. You've heard of what Jesus has done. You've heard of the gospel, yet you sit on the sideline and don't give a rip about it. Church, X-15, students, as a generation, would you be a people that say, you know what? I'm no longer going to sit on the sidelines. I'm no longer going to sit back and just watch other people do it, but I'm going to be a part of kingdom work. I'm going to be a part of what Jesus is doing in my family, in my friend group, in my school, in my city, in my nation, and ultimately the world. Am I going to be a part of what God is doing to reach the world? For those of you sitting on the sideline, what are you going to do? What's next? I want to encourage you, part of that is repenting and say, you know what, Jesus? I've sat back for too long. I've done nothing with the gospel. I've got to ask for forgiveness and use me. Give me boldness and let me go tell everyone I know about Jesus. That's where it begins. And secondly, the next step for that is actually doing something about it. So I want to pray for you. As we worship, begin chewing on that question, on those things. And I want to encourage you to talk to your life group leaders about it after we're done today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, God.
Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth. God, thank you for the fact that you've called us to realize what the message of salvation is. God, I pray that you would use these students. God, I pray you would raise up this generation of high school students to change the world around them today. God, use them, embolden them, and thank you for all that you're doing today, God. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.